The scripture for today's sermon comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The word of God speaks to us. In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given command through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is God's word to us. Good morning. Uh, If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jeff Nine. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'd love to, to get to know you. Um, and really glad you guys are here. Last day of 2023. I don't know if I'm supposed to say we made it. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. So instead, I'm just going to pray and ask you to pray. Here's, here's what I want to, <laughs> all joking aside, like um, <clears throat> Shoemaker, when we were talking about um, what we're going to preach on today, it was like, hey, I thought you were going to preach on New Year, New You, which I'm not. Um, that, I'm going to let him do that after the service. Um, there's, a, there's a moment where we hit the end of the years in which... Um, we're coming out of holidays and whatever that was like for you, whether that was full of lots of hope and joy and excitement or whether that was a lot of hard. And I've talked to people this morning who, you know, one had one experience and one had the other. Uh, so I don't know what you're coming in this morning. I just know this. I know we don't need a TED Talk. Uh, I know that what we don't need is just some, some, some uh, cute ideas that kind of spur us up to send us out. What we need to do is we need to hear from God. And I, I admitted this during the nine, like I, I come in kind of foggy today. Like, just being honest, like, I come in, and I feel like my soul feels kind of foggy and cloudy, and, and uh, I need God to speak to me. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray. Let's ask God to speak to us, because um, we need to hear from him uh, wherever we are this morning. So God, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us? I don't know all the questions that my friends have brought in the room. I, I don't even quite know all the questions that are stirring around in my soul right now, but but I know that you are the God who speaks. Um, And even when you don't answer the questions that often were on the front of our mind, you're answering the questions that matter most. And so I'm just asking that you'd speak to us today. You'd anchor our souls today in your truth. And you'd form us with your truth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, New Year's and days like this on the calendar are interesting, and, and they function the same way as anniversaries, where there are these dates on the calendar that cause us, for one reason or another, to kind of stop and reflect a little bit differently than normal. Um, New Year's, we're often thinking, like, how did the last year go, and what's the next year going to do, and which gym am I going to do the trial membership on and going to flake out after three weeks? Like, what, what are we going to do in our resolution that's not going to last? Like, how, what, what is the next year going to look like? Anniversaries are like that as well. We hit these anniversaries that often cause us to look backwards and look forward. And my family, um, December's a weird month for us in the sense that it's full of a bunch of anniversaries, some of them really beautiful and some of them really not, some of them really terrible. 
Um, December's the, the month uh, in which my wife and I got married. And there's all the excitement that comes from new life and what, what, what the Lord's going to lead us to in the future there. It's, it's also the moment in which she started a new career a number of years ago. And it's really been a lot of, a lot of we look back with a lot of gratitude. Uh, it's also marked by some of the most painful moments of our life. It was, uh, I was 27 years old. Our oldest was a year and a half old when I ended up in the hospital with a heart, or with a, with a heart attack. And it's like, wait, that's not supposed to happen when you're in your 20s. And it's, it's not, like, just in case you didn't know that. It's not. And it, but, it, but it led to one of the darkest periods of our life of going, like, what do we do? And what's, what's God doing here? And did he, did he like, let his hands off the wheel and we're spinning into a ditch? Or, like, what are we going to do? And then a number of years later, another health crisis connected to that in which I go into surgery. And it's just, it's, it leads to the point where Sherry and I, every December, kind of like, something feels off. Oh, yeah, it's December. These, these, these anniversaries have a moment of bringing us, or these days like New Year's have a moment where they bring us and we start looking backwards and we start looking forward. And in the midst of standing in that kind of moment between what's happened before and what's coming forward are a whole ton of questions coupled with a lot of uncertainty, right? A lot of questions and a lot of uncertainty. What's, going, what's the next year going to happen? Is the next year going to bring a lot of hopeful things and a lot of things to celebrate, or is the next year going to bring pain, and turmoil. We don't know. So what do we need in uncertain times is we need certainty. What's the th- what is the thing that anchors us? What's the thing that anchors our soul? What's the thing that anchors us as people in the midst of times that are uncertain? And let's just be honest, in case you had missed the news, it's kind of crazy out there right now. It's just, it's just crazy. Whether we're talking politics, whether we're talking technology, I did a bunch of weird reading over the break because that's what I love to do. And in all of these, I was talking to Puckett about this earlier, like a lot of the reading just leads to these large, large questions that society is asking right now that we're all caught up in it whether we're aware of it or not. That we live in that, minute, in that sense in uncertain times. Life is dominated by uncertainty, so where is the certainty? So I think about these questions, I think back to uh, the beginning of G.K. Chesterton's book, The Everlasting Man. And the first page of that book, what he, he says, there's always a story I've wanted to tell. And it's the, of this young boy who grew up on a, on a farm in, the, uh, in, the, in, in the, the hills of his little village, surrounded by trees and wildlife and neighbors and all the, all the things that feel comfortable for him, that, that, that it's home. So he grows up in home, and for the first time in his life, he goes off on some adventure. And he goes off either to, to, to kill a dragon or to, to go chase gold or, or maybe just go find another job. Like he, he leaves, and as he's coming back home, he, he comes over the hill, and he sees his home, but he sees it from a different vantage point than he's ever seen it before. He sees how it fits in with the society around it. He sees how it fits into the, 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 the life around. He sees its, itself in relationship to the lake in the, the forest in this other village. He sees it differently because he's pulled back and he's looking at it at a larger level. And he goes, I, I think often as I, as I read him in that book, what he's trying to say is there are moments in which we realize that we can best understand life when we're up close or we understand it best when we're backed way off looking at it from a distance. It's in the middle that we often lose sight of what's real and what's not. In moments like this, there's a dynamic, I think, in which what we need to do is we need to look to Scripture 
to help us know what's truly true, what's really real, what, what, what are the foundations that we believe in. But one of the ways we get there is by at times zooming into Scripture and at times zooming out. At times we zoom in, at times we zoom out. The Scriptures are here to tell us what's real in life. In a world dominated by, by fake news and fake videos, McKenna and I were talking this week about some video, and she said, I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's real or if it's made up, but it's kind of funny, and it was. But that's the thing. Like The, the joke is, I don't know if it's real or not. And we, and we read articles, and we read books, and we hear podcasts, and we listen to stuff. We don't know what's real and what's not. We need to be grounded in what's real. And one of the ways in which we ground in that is that we zoom in. Now, over the last couple of years, this is what we've done with 1 Corinthians and what we're doing right now with Genesis, is what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Bible and we're going to zoom in pretty tight and we're going to look at a few verses or a few chapters and try to understand what's happening in this moment. What I want to do this morning is zoom out. I want to zoom out and I want to try to see, instead of like seeing this, the, the, these, these truths from real up close, I want to back up and try to get a fresh perspective on what Scripture grounds us or what scripture tells us is truly true and what scripture tells us is really real in life to, to hold us in a moment of uncertainty. Is that okay? I hope so because that's the only sermon I've got written. So if not, you can hit the doors now. Otherwise, let's, let's dive in. There are things in scripture that, that, that they serve kind of like a mall map you know, I know malls are kind of antiquated now, but you go to the, 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 the map on the mall to try to figure out where you are, and you're looking for that pen that says, you are here. What I want these scriptures to do is do a little bit of a you are here this morning. But I want to start by imagining that you're a first century Jew. You grew up, if, if you were a first century Jew, you would have grown up in a home and grown up in an environment and grown up in a culture that talked often about these stories of what God has done in the past and how God has called the, the descendants of Abraham to be a special people, his people, and that he has walked with them, that he has built a kingdom out of David. He has raised up prophets who have spoke to us. So we look at our history as, as, the, as the Jewish people. We would look back and see moments in which uh, things went completely off the rails and people abandoned their God. And we're gonna see, we'll see moments in which they came back to their Lord and there was restoration and renewal that happened. You're going to look backwards and see both beauty and pain. Make sense? You're also going to remember that there were promises that God had made that have not yet been fulfilled. You'll also stand in this moment and look back and go, it seems as though God has gone silent for 400 years. Now, if you're not familiar with this, the Old Testament prophets, the last of them, last spoke and wrote 400 years before Jesus appeared. And so for 400 years, these Jews have been waiting for God to speak again. Because I guarantee you the questions didn't stop. The questions... The, the uncertainties that they carried in life didn't like just disappear and they're like 400 years later like, oh, now I have a question and God shows up. There would have been many Jews going, why did God go silent on us? Did he just leave out the back door and didn't tell us? When is he going to show up? When is he going to send that prophet that he promised, that Messiah that he was going to send? And it's to, it's to, it's to men and women in this moment that we're looking behind Looking, looking at the past and also looking ahead and wondering what God is doing. And it's to these people that we get these words. This is Mark 1, chapter 1. If you, the words are going to be on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, go to Mark 1. And I want us to remember that these words are spoken to a people in a particular time with a particular context. 
the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Listen to this. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. See, the writer here is starting with saying, hey, you remember what the prophet said before? That the Messiah was going to come and before he came, somebody else was going to come and prepare the way. You're starting to see this fulfilled right now. This is what the the author is saying. So John appeared, verse 4, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. In other words, he was weird. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, I don't know exactly what the questions were going through the the minds of those first century Jews, but I can imagine that there were many of them wondering if God would ever be faithful to the promise he made to send Messiah. I wonder if there was, they, were, they, they were asking the question of like, did we delude ourselves in believing these old fogies who wrote these promises and we haven't seen them come to fruition? But now they're standing here on the moment and this will introduce what we've spent the last month looking at is the advent, the coming of Jesus the first time, his incarnation when God himself takes on human flesh and walks among us. The fulfillment of the promise has happened. In other words, even in the midst of their questions, in the midst of their waiting, in the midst of their longing for God to be faithful to his promise, they now are seeing him be faithful to his promise. Jesus is here. God made a promise, and he kept the promise. And this promise anchored their soul, anchored their souls. John points the way of Jesus is going to be a life of repentance, promising that Jesus is going to bring forgiveness of sins. He tells them that the one who's coming is not just like another one of us. Like he's, he's other, he's different. I'm not even, I can't even untie his shoe. I'm not worthy enough. The one who's coming is not, is not gonna baptize you with water like I'm baptizing you. He's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Promises divine promises. The reason I want to dwell on this, friends, is because that promise is more real than any of the circumstances they faced. Anything that they were facing in life, their dispute with their neighbor, their dispute with their spouse, their confusion around vocation and belonging in the world, uh, their their confusions about why did my friend die, all of these things, the, the cloudiness that emerges in there, what this is telling us is these promises of God are more real than the things that we feel like we see in our immediate context. God's promise is that he is present. And that promise anchors our soul in moments of uncertainty. Let's look at another one of these. For this, I want, to put, I want you to put yourself in the, 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 the shoes, if you can, of the disciples. 
Jesus had the 12 disciples. Those are the ones that we often focus on, but there was actually dozens of men and women, uh, actually hundreds that would follow him around that were his disciples during this, this time. And when Jesus goes to the cross and he's killed, they scatter. They're not sure what's happening. And then Jesus reappears and they're like, I don't know what to do with this reality. I have no idea how to even understand this. And they're speaking with Jesus. And I just wonder, what were they thinking? You see, because at this moment, this inflection moment, they're looking backwards, and they're probably and, they're, and, and I don't know exactly what they're looking back on, but they're probably going, "Hey, you remember that time when Jesus just showed up and we were on our boats fishing, and he said to follow him, and for some reason we did." Hey, do you remember when he raised that little girl? from death and gave her new life. Do you remember that? Hey, do you remember when that, that man that was born blind was given sight? Do you remember when the leper was healed from leprosy immediately? Like, do you remember that? All these amazing stories. But it wasn't all roses. Because they also would have said, hey, remember when your, when your father disowned you because you started following this weird guy in the desert? Hey, do you remember when we tried to do that thing, but the religious authorities, the ones that are supposed to speak for Yahweh, condemned us and wanted to stone our friend Jesus. Hey, do you remember? Were you there? Do you remember the moment in which we lost everything to follow this man? Do you remember when they killed him? He said they would have looked back on much beauty and much pain. And they now stand in a moment in which I can only imagine was surrounded by all kinds of uncertainty. Jesus said he was going to leave, but now he's here. But is he leaving again? I don't know. What are we going to do next? If he does go, what do we do? I mean, I don't, he, was, he, was the one that was, he was the one doing the healing. I, I don't have that power. Like, what, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to organize? The, the government's against us. The religious leaders are against us. How do we do this? Do you see the uncertainty? Do you understand the uncertainty that was likely going through the minds of the disciples in this moment in which Jesus has been killed and resurrected? Now he speaks these words to them that we just read, and I want, to rem- I want us to go back to them in Acts 1. In the first book of Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. This is Luke writing, saying, hey, um, the, the gospel that I wrote about Jesus' ministry was only the start. It was only the beginning. It was only the beginning of what Jesus was going to do. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Again, you would have imagined that they would have thought, did we hallucinate when we saw Jesus walk through a wall? But he says he shows up in many different ways to prove to them that it was real. He showed up in many different places, among many different people, in many different ways to prove to them. And that's why Luke writes this. And while staying with us, he ordered them, uh, and, 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 and while staying with them, He ordered them, ordered the disciples. So there's Jesus ordering the disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water. We just heard this, right? For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. A promise. Verse six, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
Like that question, let's not go past that. That's the question they're asking. Because when Jesus showed up as the Messiah, they thought that meant that all of God's, God was gonna set all things that were wrong in the world right in that moment, and he didn't. And they're still seeing the opposition to his message. They're still seeing the opposition to who Jesus is. And they're left questioning, like, are now you finally gonna do what you said you were gonna do? But Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. In other words, I'm not going to tell you when. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Just as Jesus' coming was a fulfillment of a divine promise, so was the coming of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the thing that in the midst of all the uncertainty of what the disciples must have been wondering about, what was life going to look like in the time ahead of us, this promise is that the Spirit of God was given and is with you and is giving you power and has given you a calling. He's given you power and he's given you a mission. That's a promise to anchor you see, because the disciples were going unco- were, were to step into things in the future that were both full of pain and full of beauty. They were going to realize that well, as Jesus had healed the sick, now they were praying for people and the sick were being healed. They would watch, they would watch as they prayed and the dead came to life. They would see lives transformed. They would see people that were alone brought into community. They would, see, they would see all kinds of beautiful things, and yet they were also going to see many horrendous things. Read Acts, and you just see this compilation of stories of, of just, you just imagine walking through it the amount of uncertainty. In some cities, they got a rousing response of welcome, and in some, they got sent out on their rear ends uh, with rocks hurled at their heads. But what do they have to stand on? What's the firm thing? What's the, real, the thing that's really real that they can set their feet on? The Spirit has given us power and given us calling. The Spirit of God, fulfilled promise, is what we can anchor our souls to. You see, God promised and has promised his presence, and he has also promised to us his power. And those things are the most real things to the most real things in the world. Now, one more time, I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of somebody else. I want you to imagine being in the shoes of the apostle John. See, John was one of the closest of Jesus' disciples. He was, he was one of three. He, uh, uh, he and Peter and his brother James were, were, were saw things and encountered things with Jesus that even the other disciples didn't see. And this John was given the commission by God or by Jesus on the cross to care for his mom. And so the, the beautiful thing was of all the things that Jesus entrusted, he entrusted the rule, uh, the leading uh, and the founding of the church in Jerusalem to Peter. And he, and he gave this great commission to go to the Gentiles, to, to Paul. And he did all these things. And you know what he did? When, when he looked down at his mom, he, he, he gave the most precious gift to John by saying, hey, will you take my place and care for my mom? But he also is a leader in the church. 
And probably as Mary's passing, he now begins to move around and he begins to write letters to the churches. And he sees both the hard and the beautiful in what the early church experienced. He was faithful to the commission of God. But listen to me. You know why we, what we're about to read in Revelation was, was sent to him on the Isle of Patmos? Because he was in exile there in punishment. In other words, hey, congratulations, John. You were faithful to God. You're now in solitary confinement. I can imagine him going, hey, I, I wanted the signing bonus and the nice mansion. <laughs> I, I actually wanted life to go well, and this doesn't seem to be going well. You see, John, at the end of his life, after, the, after decades, listen, decades of faithfulness, is now abandoned on a desert island. Can you imagine what's going through his mind right now? What's the future hold? Is it more of what the past is? Where do I set my soul? I don't know how long I'm going to be on this island. Am I going to die here? Am I not? The uncertainty that would have surrounded John in this moment would have, have paralyzed most of us. And it's to John in that situation, in that moment that these words come. Look at Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the world of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Oh, just, just stop for just a second. What he's saying is this, that the message given to John in his situation was actually not just a message to John in his situation, it was a message that was sent through John to us in our situations. So I, I don't think any of us, I mean, if that'd be kind of weird if any of us were exiled in an island of Patmos and we're also in the middle of Yukon at the same time. But I don't, I don't know what your situation in life is. I don't know if you feel like you're on the Isle of Patmos. I don't know what, what you're carrying in, but I want you to hear whatever that is, wherever there's uncertainty, wherever there are questions, these words are given to John, but they're also given through John to you. Hear them as God's word to you. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. That idea of seven churches in Asia is meant to, to speak uh, poetically to the idea of the church of all time in all places. Grace to you and peace from God, who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and who freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming on the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. Now look at, listen to this verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. What he means there is I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. 
God gave the divine promise that he would send the Messiah, and he did it. He sent Jesus. And Jesus said, I am with you, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. But he also said, I'm going to be with you by my spirit, which brings us to the second promise. There was the divine promise that the spirit of God would be sent to give us power. So we've been promised presence, and we've been promised power, and God has given both. God has given both. And now what we get is this promise that at the end of all things, what we're left with is the glory of God. Now, for those of you that grew up remotely connected to church, or, or, or if you just grew up in Canadian County, you got it by osmosis, even if you weren't in church. Like these, there, are these, there are these Bible words like glory that we just kind of treat as like these weird, obscure ideas that I guess they have religious significance. They show up in poems and psalms every once in a while, and I don't really know what to do with it. But it doesn't really seem very close to my life. Here's, here's what I want you to say. One of the most real thing in the world is the fact that God is and will be glorified forever because he is the glorious one. That's reality. Your Twitter feed's not reality. X feed, I don't know. Facebook feed, whatever. Your Instagram feed's not reality. The, the troubles you have at work are not reality. The painful relationships in the past are not defining reality. The addictions that you cover are not the reality. The struggles at home, the struggles in life, those are not reality. Those don't get the last word, friends. At the end of all things, we're left with not the suffering in the world. We're not left with tears. We're left with the glory of God. Guys, this isn't some weird, abstract, obscure religious truth. It is the most real thing in the world that the God of glory is. He's, tr he's real. He was. He is. He is to come. Now look, I know that that truth may not go, well, that answers what I'm supposed to do about my job situation in February. That doesn't, it doesn't speak directly to some of those questions, but I, wanted to realize, I want you to understand that no matter where you are in life, the uncertainty you feel in life, that is something to set your feet on. These promises are anchors for our soul. But this is why we have to pull back to see them. Because often zoomed in in life and zoomed in in our situations, we tend to only see the things that are right in front of us. And those things feel like the most real thing. It feels like that relationship situation is the most real thing in the world. That job insecurity is the most real thing in the world. That 401k, whether it's big or small, is the most real thing in the world. And the reality is it's not. We need to step back and look at the, the grand divine promises of God that anchor not just our souls in uncertainty, anchor the world in uncertain times, and anchor the universe. That's reality, friends. And I want us to see it. And I don't just want you to see it. I want to see it. Because just this last week, I was talking with Sherry about stuff, and I'm just like, I feel anxious and frustrated, and I don't want to do with this. And, and, and the reality is, friends, I needed to step back and look at these promises of God that anchor all of reality, that reframe all of reality, that remind me of what's really real. We all do. I don't know what the next year is going to hold for you. 
I don't know if it's going to look like the last one or it's going to be radically different. I don't know if it's going to be good or it's going to be bad. Here's my guess. And it's, I'd, I'd, I'd go to Vegas on this one. It's going to have both. I'm not going to Vegas on that one. It's going to have both. The, the next year is going to have a lot of beautiful things and a lot of joyful things, and it's going to have a lot of painful ones. I don't know which of those is going to dominate for you. My guess is in the room, different people are going to be dominated by different ways. But here's the thing. In the midst of all of that, you know what doesn't change? The divine promises of God. He's present with you. He gives you power. Guys, I know it sometimes doesn't feel like power because, like, I want other powers. I want to be able to fly. I want to be able to, to endure all, all things in, in, in life. I want ultimate wisdom. Like, I, I often want powers that God doesn't give me, but he's given me all the power I need to step into all the things he's called me to. I get the divine pr- promise of his presence, of his power, and that in the end, the only thing left standing is his glory. That, friends, is what you can anchor your soul to. In 2024, in 2025, and if there's a 2026, you can do it then too. Guys, here's my, here's my request for you this week. Is spend a little bit of time and zoom out. And see your life in relationship to what's really true. Zoom back this week. Zoom out this week. And see your life, not at the center of all things, but in the midst of these things that are truly true, that are really real. You can go to the bank with these promises, friends. So let's do that together in this neighborhood. Let's pray.